everybody received, hopefully you received, a Lego whenever you came in this morning, uh, go ahead and grab a hold of that. Put it in your hand, because it's going to do two things. Number one, it's going to help me illustrate a couple of points during our message. And the other thing it's going to do is it's going to give you something to fidget with in case I bore you and you won't fall asleep, okay? So you can use it either way. I'm okay with that. It's all right. Here's what I want to ask you. Using this Lego, here's, uh, this might remind you of your childhood, depending on how old you are. What did you want to be? When you grew up, what did you want to be when you grew up? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead. We're going we're gonna to make this just a touch interactive. Stuart, what did you want to be when you grew up? Football player. A football player. I like it. I like it. Uh, Tori, what did you want to be when you grew up? A pediatrician. A pediatrician. All right. All right. So instead of taking care of dogs, you take care of kids, and it's kind of this one of the same, right? Oh, I love it. Okay. That's fantastic. Um, over, what did you want to be when you grew up? Cowboy, I like it, I like it. I'll tell you what I wanted to be whenever I grew up. If you had asked me that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? The answer I would have given you is the hero of every story. So if, if we were watching The Incredible Hulk, I wanted to be The Incredible Hulk. If we were watching Batman, I wanted to be Batman. If we were watching Barney, I wanted to be a purple dinosaur with green spots. I wanted to be the hero of every story, which helps probably explain some of the psychoses that I deal with today, and my, but I'm just saying it's what I wanted to do. Here's what we all know. There is nobody on the face of the planet that whenever you asked them as a child, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up, that they would tell you, a loser. <laughs> nobody wanted to be a loser whenever they grew up. And today, we say this, we, we don't say, what, what are you going to be? I'm a loser? Nobody says that. Some of us over time have, have uh, kind of given ourselves over to mediocrity, sure. Sometimes life beats us out of it, right? But nobody growing up wanted to be a loser. We all wanted to be great. We all wanted to be great. Today we're going to talk about how to be great. So it's 2023, and I decided I needed some help with my sermon, and so I uh, pulled up a ChatGPT window and asked ChatGPT, how do you be great? And here's the list of things that it actually gave me. Um, they're going to pull it up here in just a second in three, two, one. There it is. Okay, good. This is a pretty good list. That serve others, that very first thing, that's what we're going to be talking about today, so I'm going to skip over that for right now, and we're going to come back to it. But uh, two down for integrity. To be great takes integrity, right? I mean, it's one of the things we would love about our elected officials is that they had some... Sorry, I shouldn't have said that out loud. I apologize. Resilience. We honor resilience, right? The people that are great in our minds, the people that kind of have grit. They can make it through. They can finish well. They, they, we, we love those stories of the person who, who survived the marathon and, and they have the heartfelt stories and that kind of thing. Um, courage on the, on the right side is another thing that makes people great. We honor our first responders and our military heroes. Why? Because they do the kinds of things that either we couldn't do or that we wouldn't do. And they show courage whenever they go forward into battle or into the fire. It's a pretty good list. Now, whether you're a Christian or whether you're a skeptic or just kind of checking it out, most likely we probably agree on how to be great. Because even though 
preachers want to say, oh, that's, the culture says that if you make a lot of money, you're great. We kind of know better, right? We've all kind of grown out of that a little bit. Because we look at the people with all the money and we're like, I just don't know if that's the definition of great. I think as Christians, we can use the Bible to help us understand and better flesh out that definition of great. All month long, we're spending some time in a very small passage, actually. It's not our normal pattern of behavior. Normally, we kind of will run through several chapters or a chapter or something like that. But I love the idea of taking a month or so and just kind of honing in on one small portion of Scripture. And this small portion of Scripture that we're going to be dealing with all month long comes out of the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Now, if you're not sure about 1 Timothy or where it comes from, uh, we believe the author was the Apostle Paul, and he was writing to a young protege preacher named Timothy. And so a lot of the things that Paul deals with in this passage, or in this whole book, are things that Timothy needs to know and how to be a better pastor, a better leader, a better preacher, and a better church administrator. So that's how we're going to dig in. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible device, go ahead and open that up. I'll also have the words up on the screens if it helps you out. But let's read together. And again, because we've been over this passage now three times, I used a different translation just to kind of help give you some, a different sound. I think that helps sometimes to give a different sound. So this is going to be out of the New Living Translation. We're going to start in verse 17. Here it is. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this idea that, that we should trust God more than our money. And Pastor Stewart did an amazing job with that. And if you haven't seen that uh, sermon, you might want to go back on YouTube and, and, and click back a couple of weeks and pick that up again. Verse 18 carries on and says, Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. We talked about that last week. We talked about the idea that, uh, that generosity is typically a matter of the heart. And so if you find yourself not being generous, that might be a heart issue and you need to deal with that first and then generosity will sometimes overflow out of that. And here's where we're going to kind of pick up today. Verse 19, it says, by doing this, by being generous, ready to share, they people that are rich, you and me included, will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. See, what Paul's telling Timothy here is that, look, the people that have stuff, that are willing to share, that are generous, that they're investing, that we're all kind of investing. In fact, your lifestyle is an investment. You're either investing in yourself and your own pleasure, or you're investing in the people around you. And this is what we want to talk about today, this idea of investment. Do me a favor and head back to the, the, the passage there, verse 19. There's something interesting that happens. Everybody, you typically understand how an investment works, right? You give something up that's valuable to you, and you, hopefully you get something greater in return. You buy stocks, you buy mutual funds, those kinds of things. This is similar to that. And the idea here is, is that if you build up a good foundation in others, we all experience 
true life. Now, true life is, is an interesting phrase, and I want to kind of peel that apart just a little bit because that could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Let me kind of talk about what Jesus said about true life, and, and, and you don't have to turn to this. I'll have it on the screens. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is talking, and he's telling a story. He's using uh, sheep and shepherds as an illustration. He's talking about how we're sheep, and he's the, the shepherd, the good shepherd. And here's what he says. He says, the thief's purpose, Satan's purpose, your enemy's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy my purpose, Jesus' purpose, is the exact opposite of all of those things. It's to give them a rich and satisfying life. Rich and satisfying life. Now let's take that and plug that back into verse 19. So I'm going to have them head back to verse 19 again. I told them I was going to, they're going to have to keep them on their toes. So by doing this, by being rich and generous and willing to share, you and I will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that we may experience a rich and satisfying life. Is that what you want? I think it's all, we, all of us want that, right? But the question is, are we willing to do what it takes to get it? Jesus further illustrates this. Um, in the book of Mark, chapter 9, the story goes, it's one of those, it's one of those fun little stories between the stories kind of thing. Um, and Jesus and his disciples were kind of hanging out and they were walking between, between ministry, ministry opportunities. They were walking along, they're heading towards the city named Capernaum. Uh, and the disciples were doing their thing. And so here's what, here's what it says. It says, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? Verse 34 says, but they didn't answer. Okay, stop. <laughs> Can you see the picture now? I mean, Jesus is hanging out kind of behind the, the group of 12, and they're kind of doing their normal, you know, imagine like upper teen, early 20-something guys, all, all kind of in a pack, and, and, and one guy starts talking about it, and then one guy belches, and the other guy belches louder, and then the other guy goes, ah, and then they start doing this, and they laughing and joking and pushing each other around and all that kind of stuff, and it really kind of comes down to who's better. Ever played that game, who's better? You got a better story to tell. You got a better thing to say. I'm stronger than you. I'm braver than you. I'm whatever, 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 and Jesus is just kind of hanging back. He's just kind of chilling out, watching all this happen. Probably smiling a little bit too. And then they get to the house and he sits down with him. He goes, so, what were you boys talking about? And he's got a smile on his face because you know, he knows what they were talking about. And you know that they know that he knows what they were talking about, right? And they don't want to answer. Verse 34 says, but they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Jesus sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Now what's fascinating to me is obviously what Jesus said, but what's also fascinating to me is what he didn't say or what I would have said if I was sitting in that room in that moment as Jesus. I would have said, dudes, do you have any idea what I've been talking about the whole time? You guys are idiots. I need to fire all of you and start again. 
Jesus didn't do that. If you and I want to be great, Jesus wants that too. If you and I want to be great as we define it by serving others, Jesus wants that too. So here's, the, here's how we boil this, this, this entire message down. We can boil it down to this. You want to be great? Great. Serve. And that's where it gets hard, doesn't it? One of the aspects and parts of my job is that I get the privilege of being able to help the different ministries fill out their ministry teams of volunteers. And I can guarantee you, there's not a single ministry team that we have at this church that is full, <laughs> that isn't looking for help. From the media team in the back, to the guest services, to safety, to the elementary, to students, CR. There's not a ministry of this church that is like, you know what? I got all the people I need. We good. So what ends up happening is, is that I get the, the, the responsibility of helping them walk down the hallways and finding people and going, ooh, hey, you got five minutes to talk to me? And usually what ends up happening, because I know that I've, I've done this long enough, I know how this works, is it's, it's like you flip the lights on and the cockroaches go, and they're gone. Because they know that whenever I'm coming, I'm asking for something. How do you be great? You serve. How do you be great? You serve. Jesus' sentence is very, very simple. You've got to be the servant of all. Martin Luther King obviously picked up on this very same thought whenever he said, look, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Now, typically the answers that we get whenever we say, hey, would you be willing to, and when you wait, whatever the fill in the blank is, it's kind of one of three different answers. Number one is it's like, man, do you have any idea how busy I am? And the answer is, yeah, I probably do. I, I understand how it works. I mean, I have two boys I raised, and we did the whole run from baseball to, to basketball to kuksodo to whatever, and, and homework at night and baths, and they're boys, and so it takes three times longer than it should. And so I get it. We're busy. You're busy. I understand. Or the second answer is usually something along the lines of, man, um, at the end of the week, I'm just burnt out. I'm just done. I'm cooked. I'm tired. I need my Sunday morning because it's the only respite time I get. I come to church and I just kind of soak in God's goodness. And here's what I want to tell you. That's okay. There's absolutely nothing wrong with coming to church and soaking in God's goodness. Look, I'm the guy up here almost every single week that reminds you of Sabbath, the idea of resting and stopping. And I am a huge fan of rhythm and pace. And I believe this is one of those areas that the church can actually lead in society. Rhythm and pace is a God-ordained thing, and it is something that is important to everybody. So I get it. Or that third answer I get is usually something along the lines of, man, do you have any idea how damaged I am? Usually it takes a couple times to get to that point because that's kind of deep. They'll look at me and go, I need somebody to serve me right now in this stage of my life. 
I need to be healed. I need to be whole. I'm not right. And my pastoral heart just completely breaks for those folks. Because I know what that feels like too. And the church should be a hospital for people. But at the same time, here's what I also know. Your healing will never be complete until you've turned the power of your pain around and helped someone else in their healing. Here's the way Jesus puts it. Matthew chapter 16. He says, if you try to hang on to your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, I'm walking a very dangerous road, and I understand that. But with every ounce of gentleness and kindness and pastoral care that I have in me, here's what I want you to hear. You need to still serve. Even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your schedule, even in the midst of the craziness and sanity, damaged as it is of your life, you need to serve. So what does that look like? Well, hope. You see, whenever you die to yourself, something great arises. Hope. Hope for you and hope for someone else that you can help. Um, singer and songwriter, I'm going I'm to get his name wrong, so I'm going to make sure I get it right here. Bruce Cockburn uh, wrote a song, Lovers in a Dangerous Time, in 1984, back a long time ago for you some people. And this is what he said. You got to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. I believe that for most of us, serving is kicking out the darkness. Waiting for it to bleed daylight. So serve. You want to be great? Serve. How do you do that? I mean, how do you really do that? Because what I'm asking for is a lot, and I recognize that. Well, here's the, here's the first step. A daily... Yes. Just a daily yes. So you wake up in the morning, you're getting ready, you grab your Bible and your coffee, and you're doing your morning quiet time, devotion time. You like how pastorally I just assume you're doing that, right? So you're doing your daily quiet time and devotion. Before you even get to the scriptures, here's what I want you to do I want you to start praying. Just a one-sentence prayer. God, the answer is yes. Now show me what you want me to do. At some point in time during the day, if you're paying attention, God will insert himself into your life. And he'll say, that's the one. I want you to serve that one. Just a little thing today. You've already said yes. A daily yes. A daily yes. For some of us, 
Not everybody. And not all the time. God's going to ask for the big yes. That's the yes that probably only comes around two or three times in your entire life. Whenever you have a moment, and it's not a flash-in-the-pan thing, it's not a, a, a moment on a single specific day, it's like this, this feeling you get over a period of time, and God kind of leans in, and he says, I'm going to ask you to do something that is way beyond what you can do. I'm going to ask you to trust me. I'm going to ask you to go over and beyond. I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to affect your family. It's going to affect your friends. It's going to affect your life. It's going to affect everything. I'm going to ask you to bet the farm. I'm going to ask you to go all in. I'm going to ask you to take all the chips that you've got, put them to the middle of the table, and go, God, I don't know how, I don't know why, but yes. That happened to me seven, a little over seven years ago. I was working in a corporate environment, writing computer software, making really good money doing some churchy stuff on the side like we do. And God, over the course of about six months, kind of started turning me upside down, saying, I want you to, I want you to go all in. It's going to be big yes time. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect your boys. It's going to affect your wife. You're saying yes for them, a yes that they didn't ask for. It's going to affect your job. You're going to have to figure out how to deal with making half of what you do now. It's going to affect your parents because you're going to move 800 plus miles away. He didn't tell me that at the time. But it's going to affect them. They're going to look at you and they're going to wonder whether you've lost your mind or not. And I said, yes. Yes through tear-soaked shirt, I said, yes. 